the land of Uz, whose name was Job. Now, I've often wondered about this. How come we can't spell this right? That is not Job. I don't care how you use your name in the English. What, what does that spell? Job. It spells job. Why not just put an E on the end of that and make it all, right. uh, just fix it. I don't, under, I don't understand that. <laughs> but anyway, that's what he is. He's Job. And the man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Now, it does not mean he was perfect. It just simply means that before God, he was blameless and upright, which means he, uh, he made the sacrifices, did what he needed to do, that if things were, were not right, he repented in, in that way. So as far as before God was concerned, he was blameless and upright. And one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. That doesn't sound like a huge family for, for these folks back then. Some of them had a lot, a lot bigger than that. But uh, seven and three, that's pretty good. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. Now, the household would be, consist of more than his sons and daughters and wife. That would also consist of the, the servants in the house. And, and uh, you know, you got to have some people to defend all those camels and sheep and everything else that's going on there. So that this man was the greatest of all the people in, of the east. So as far as people in the east, the east of where he is. Now Job is one of the earliest, well actually it is the earliest book written. It predates Moses writing Genesis. So he goes back a long way. So there, during his day, there was not as many people on the earth as there was during the time of, uh, say, Moses. Uh, verse 4, And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each one on his appointed day. And when sin and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Now I read this thing and I'm just thinking, man, this seems backwards. It's, I mean, usually it's the, the women that are, are putting together all the food and stuff like that. But that's not how it is here. The guys do. The guys put together the parties. And the sisters, they just come along. It never says that it's at the sister's house. It's only at the brother's house. <laughs> so the seven brothers are rotating uh, and having these feast days and these parties at their at their home. And they had an appointed day. Now they had seven brothers. It doesn't say when the appointed day was. Maybe one brother had Monday. Maybe one brother had Tuesday. Uh, maybe there were just certain days of the month that they would do this. Maybe it was just on the weekends. We don't know what the appointed days came to, but whatever it was, they had certain ones and they would do this on a regular basis. Now it was more often than it would seem anyway, more often than just once a month, just because of Joe's behavior. It would seem like it was more often than that, but we don't know if it was an everyday occurrence and they would rotate to the different houses or uh, several times a month or whatever it might be. But anyway, that's how this would, would go. But it would be at one of the brothers' houses. It would not be at any of the sisters. I assume the sisters were married. Don't know that they were married. We don't know that the brothers were married. We kind of assumed they were always married pretty young back then, but um, again, we don't know. But they would invite the three sisters to eat and drink with them. <clears throat> now, it, I, when I read this, some things just kind of jump out at me, and I just wonder about it. it. The sisters are invited, right? Not the brothers. It doesn't say that when the one brother has, he invites the other six brothers. It just says the sisters were invited. 
That just seems odd to me. I don't know what that is. I have to wait to get to heaven, find out. You know, we can call one of the brothers around if they, if they made it to heaven. So it was when the days of, of feasting had run their course. So it may be that they came over to the house and stayed more than one day. When the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. What about the daughters? It may be that my sons have sinned. Does he not care about the daughters? Were the daughters better than the sons and they probably wouldn't have engaged in behavior that he would have had to be concerned about? I don't know. It's just odd. One of those things that's just kind of odd about this. It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job did regularly. Now we'll get back to this later on, but how many of you can understand the uh, kids that just are not quite following God the way they ought to? So, he says, it may be. He doesn't know. He doesn't go and ask them. He doesn't check with them. He just assumes they may have missed it. They may have gone the wrong direction. So, just in case, I'm going to offer a sacrifice, one for each of the sons, which would be seven sacrifices, because we didn't make them for the daughters, apparently. Now, who is it that would come along and put thoughts in your head that something bad may have happened that you need to go and fix? We have no certainty on this. God works on certainties. God says, hey, they missed it. Hey, get out there and take care of this. Uh, David, sin, get out there and tell him. I mean, God deals in certainties. We're dealing with, well, I don't know, maybe, I just suppose, maybe they've cursed God in their hearts and I don't want them to go to hell. So we're going to um, make sacrifices for them. Well, this is the enemy. And so the enemy comes along with Job and initially he just begins to sow a few things in his head, but he begins to entertain them. And he's gotten such a hold over Job that every time he sees a party going on, a feast day going on with the kids, he immediately thinks something wrong has probably happened. Now, it might be that the kid's behavior has reinstilled that in him. We don't know. But he it just seems like this is this probably started as a small thing and then all of a sudden it became a big thing. Now, God knows the thoughts and intents of a man's heart. The Word of God tells us that. If something was off, God could have told him and he would have gone out there and taken care of it, just like he did with Eli. Eli, your sons are missing it. Get out there and correct it. And Eli didn't. Now, he's trying to correct things that haven't even happened yet. As far as we know, as far as he knows, it doesn't happen. has not happened. Verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. It would seem that the sons of God here are angels. Some kind of angelic being. It would seem that they are not always in the presence of God which would mean that they're someplace else, as is Satan. Satan is not always in the presence of God at the time of this story. He was sometimes down here on the earth doing things. So, 
as Satan had jurisdiction, and if we don't have time to go through all that in the Word, but Satan had jurisdiction over a certain area of, of the universe, which included earth. How much else was included in that, we don't know. But we know that he brought earth into rebellion long before Adam and Eve were here. The Word of God is very clear about that. And the earth came into judgment. And then Adam and Eve were created and the earth out of that judgment. And then he came down upon the, upon the earth. So he came in and presented himself with these particular ones. So he still had the opportunity to get in there. And so did these others. The supposition I've heard before is that there are angelic beings that are over other parts of the universe. And there, there may be other earth type things that are there. Probably we are the only one that fell. But that's just supposition. We don't know. The Word of God doesn't give us a whole lot of detail, but it is interesting that it brings up this much. There were certain angelic beings who came into the presence of God. They apparently came on a regular basis. And Satan came in among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered and the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Now, I've heard some people talk about this. and It's almost like a taunting to God. Because this was an earth that God created for man. He created it perfect. Satan's tactics brought it into sin and judgment. And he says, I am walking on the face of the earth because for right now it is mine. <laughs> it might even be a little snicker in his, in what he was doing. But anyway, from where do you come? So Satan answered and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to him, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, no one who fears God and shuns evil. No getting around this. It looks like from this translation that God threw Job under the bus. Now this word here, considered. The New Century Version puts in there, noticed. Have you noticed my servant Job? The word comes from the Hebrew word, and I wrote it in there for you, sum or sim. I just I just took it straight from the, the Hebrew helps that I have. <clears throat> if you um and I've told you before this is a bad translation. This particular word is used according to my count five hundred and seventy eight times in the Old Testament in five hundred and forty different verses. Now that's pretty common, isn't it? If you'll notice in your margin, for those of you who still have a hard copy Bible. If you look at the margin on this, if not, go home and check it out. You will see that in the margin, it says about this word, consider, set your heart on. Now, I know this is true. I looked at my New King James reference Bible, looked at the center column and saw the little number next to it, followed the number over into the center margin. And right next to it, it says, set your heart on. So what I did was and it was, there's no way I was going to study all 540 verses of this particular reference in the Word of God. So what I did was I set out to cover the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, this word is used in 44 different verses. So of the 50 chapters that are in Genesis, 44 times we're going to see this word come up. Um... Oh, I did. I actually got a couple of other references for you too. I don't know if I wrote them in your outline. They're in mine. 
But in Jeremiah chapter 42, verse 15, we'll see this as well. Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, O God of Israel, if you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and go and dwell there, that word there, set, is our word in the Hebrew. If you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt. The margin said, set your heart on. So can you see that here? If you set your heart on entering Egypt. In First Kings, and it happened when Ben-Hadad heard the, this message, as he and the kings were drinking at the command post, he said to his servants, get ready, talking to the army, and they got ready. The word get ready there is our same one. Basically, you are setting yourself in order. You're setting yourself against these these folks. So let's go over here to Genesis. And what I did was, I've, I, I read over the verses that had this thing in. And I want to read it over them so many times that by the time I finish with this, I can find the word without looking at the Hebrew. That's my goal then. I want to be able to look at the verse and be able to have a good enough sense of what this word is that out of all the ones that are in there, I can pick it out. Because it is not always translated the same. It is translated a lot of different things. In fact, I saw this word translated more uh, in more ways than I did any other recent ones that we've looked at. In fact, it took up a very long paragraph just to cover all the different ways this word is translated. So let's take this this on here. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 15, And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain. That's our word there, set. Genesis 21 verse 13. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. When it says there, I will make a nation. The word make is our word. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make. What this is basically saying here, getting a picture of this word, is that I have set my sights upon the bondwoman and I will of her make a nation because of Abraham. Genesis 21, verse 18. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Again, because of Abraham, I will make him a great nation. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. The word there laid is this word that we have. He took the wood and he set it upon his son. He took the wood, he eyed his son, set his eyes upon where he was going to put it, and he put the wood on his son. This word is used. Now, there's other words you can use for laid. In fact, one of the verses I saw here, they had one word for lay and another word for set. Um, I'm, we'll get to it. We'll get to it at the end here. Don't let me forget, because it's in, a, in, our, uh, in our list here. Uh, verse 22, verse 9. Uh, Genesis 22, 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him, the word laid there is our word, laid him on the altar upon the wood. So we set our sights on the altar, we pick up Isaac, and we set him on the altar. Verse 24, uh, verse 33 of chapter 24. Food was set before him to eat. And he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. We have a table. We take the food 
and we set it. We have a, we focus on where it's going to go. It's going to go right here and we put it down. Then I asked her, verse 47 of the same chapter. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring on her. Nose. I put the nose ring on her. That word there, put, is is our word here that we're talking about. Genesis 27, verse 37. Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master. The word made is our word. I have set myself, set my mind in such a direction that upon him has been put the blessing. He is, he is the one I have set my focus on. I put the blessing upon him, and now he is your master. Verse uh, 11 of chapter 28. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and lay down in that place to sleep. So he took the stone and he set it. You always think of a stone as a pillow, but he did. He got a stone and he set it in a place for the pillow. Genesis 30 and verse 36, and he put three days journey between himself and Jacob. So he's got where, where, where he is and where Jacob is. Then he put three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. We've, we've got a, I know where I am. I know where they are. And I've set this distance in between. We've got to have a knowledge of two different things there. And that's where it is with most of them. I got to have a knowledge of more than just one thing in order to function the way this word is. Uh, verse 21 of chapter 31. So he fled with all that he had, arose and crossed the river and headed, or the King James put it, set his face toward the mountains of Gilead. I've set my attention on going in this particular direction. This is the way I'm going to go. And that's where he fled. Uh, same chapter 31, verse 37. Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren. That word there, set, is the same thing. So he says, go on through here, and I want you to find what things you say I stole. And then you set it right here. And uh, they couldn't do it. Uh, Genesis 32, verse 12. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. The word there, make, is our word. There is a promise. This is the object of that promise. This is the end result. Let's go on to the next one. Verse 2 of chapter 33. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. He set them in order. He had an order in his mind, and he set them in that direction. And until that was accomplished, he didn't stop. We have an order. I want the maidservants here. I want the children here. I want Leah and her children here. I want Rachel and her children. We, we have it all set what we want to do. 37, 34. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. He put sackcloth on his waist. He made an intention. This is what I am mourning. I am going to get mourner's clothes, and I am going to put them upon myself. Verse 15 of chapter 40. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. They have taken me. They have set their focus upon me for something that was not right and put me here in this dungeon. 
Verse 43, 30, uh, 22. And we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. Remember the children of uh, Jacob. They came on, came on down and brought these things. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. So someone had an intention, sided our sacks, and put this money upon it. Verse 21 of the next chapter, 44. Then he said to his, to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. Speaking of the, uh, Benjamin, the child who had not, uh, who had not made the trip. I want to set my eyes. I want to put my attention upon this one that you speak of that I haven't, that you have, you have not brought with you. 45, 7. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity. Now this one took me a little while to meditate on this one. I was trying to figure this one out. What? No, how does this word fix in here? And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. And God sent me before you to set me in this place in order to preserve a posterity for you. God had the intention to get me into this place. And you were just one of the many means He could have used to get me here. So don't you worry about that. This is where I was supposed to be. Genesis forty-eight seventeen. This is the one I was speaking about earlier. Now when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, that word therefore laid is not our word. He uses a different word. It displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to, to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. In other words, Joseph is looking at this this way. You have just laid your hand on a head. I don't want you to just lay your hand on a head. I want you to... Be mindful of what it is that you're doing. I want you to set your attention on this particular one because he is the oldest and he should get your right hand. It was a change. And he actually changed the word to this particular word. I thought that was, that was pretty cool. I fortunately caught verse 17 having that word laid in there. I went back up there and said, why is that word not highlighted in my, <laughs> my search? And that was, that was why. Chapter 48, verse 20. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, by you, Israel, will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim, there's that word, before Manasseh. He purposed, he made sure, now this is the direction it's supposed to go. This is what has happened. I have set my heart on this particular direction. I have set my intention. This is where we are going. Now, the, the way it's translated here, have you considered my servant Joseph? Would that question not imply that God didn't know? Does God ever not know anything? Does he have to tell you? I mean, even Elisha t- said to his servants, hey, when you went out there, I went with you. <laughs> well, if Elisha can do that, how much more is God? God does not have to wonder where Satan was at, or he does not even have to wonder that uh, if Satan has considered it. Have you considered 
my servant Job. I put this in your outline. God, does God ever speak from a condition of uncertainty? No. He does not. Now, if you take all that we learned about that particular word and change the translation, there are not many translations who translate this right. Yet all the margins have the note in there. I can't figure that out. Why do you have the note that this is what it really means, but you translate it this way? But there are a few translations you can get. I wrote down one of them here. This is in the Young's Literal Translation. He's very King Jamesh. So you have to uh, forgive that part. But he gets it here. And Jehovah saith unto the adversary, adversary, Hast thou set thy heart against my servant Job, because there is none like him in the land, a man perfect and upright, fearing God and turning aside from evil? Does that change it for you? Has thou set thy heart against my servant Job because there is none like him in the land, a man perfect and upright, fearing God and turning aside from evil? Now that changes the whole picture, doesn't it? No longer is God throwing him out, uh, Job out, hanging him out to dry. Hey, here's Job. <laughs> Come and get him. Instead he's saying, have you set your heart against Job because of all the people in the land, he is the most upright. Have you set your heart against him for that? Don't tell me you're just out there wandering around. You've set your heart against my servant. You're not just out there wandering around about in the earth. I know what you're doing. You have set your heart against my servant, Job. See, because God knew where he was. Remember how he came down to Cain? Where's your brother? Did God not know where his brother was? He knew exactly. That's why he asked the question. And when he, Jesus is asking the question, or God's asking the question, he's, he knows exactly where the devil's been. But he doesn't admit to it. So God says, uh-uh, I, I'm on to you. I know what you're doing. And you have set your sights against Job. Well, let's go on. I had this note in here that uh, sometimes we, we look at Job and we think that, man, has God opened the doors for Satan to just sift me, to just go after me? And uh, But understand this, God is not your problem. God is not going to sell you out. He has never sold anyone out and will not sell anyone out. But the enemy wants you to believe that God will sell some people out. God is not your problem. Verse 9. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Now he's right up on it. He's been accused. I know what you're up to. You're after my servant Job. And immediately he comes back up. He knows him by name. And he brings him up. Has Job served God? He's not even contending about whether he's upright or, or any of that sort of, or sort of stuff. He just says, doesn't do it for nothing, does he? Does Job fear God for nothing? In other words, and I, I looked this up in the Hebrew too, to, to check it out. Nothing here means for, for no reward. 
he gets rewarded for this. Basically, Satan is accusing God of paying him off. <laughs> yeah, you, he only serves you because you pay him off. That's just the accuser of the brethren. He likes to make cases against, against people. And that's what he's trying to do here. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Now, back then, folks, you didn't have police forces. You didn't have armies. You didn't have the, the, the kind of protection. If, if you were going to protect what you had, you had to protect it. So, Job not only has whatever protection he has mustered up with his large household, but God has put a hedge about him. Now, you'll see this hedge come up in other areas of Scripture. We can't make a, a real long study on this. But you remember the ten plagues of, of Egypt. How many of those plagues said came up to the land of Goshen and stopped? They couldn't get past it. There was no barrier there. No physical barrier that was there. But whatever the plague was, it couldn't get past it. It stopped right there. It's probably where Star Trek got the idea of force fields. From the Bible. Right there. Because something invisible kept all that stuff out. So that the plagues couldn't come come into them. There was a hedge. He calls it a hedge here. And just for lack of a better word to translate, I think that's what they what they do. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Now, he's thrown it out as an accusation against God. But God has done it because Job gave him the opportunity. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Now, I don't know how we lose sight of this when we go through the book of Job, but this is the accuser of the brethren who is making a case with God for God to set his hand against them. And yet in the book of Job, we don't see that God sets his hand against them, do we? In the book of Job, everybody who comes out of there knows who did this against Job. Who did it? Satan. But look at the argument. The argument is for God to come against Job. But that's not what happens. God doesn't come against Job. And we'll see that. Now, why does God stretch out his hand against people? There are times that God stretched out his hand against people. And you can go all the way back in the Bible. Go back to the, to the story of... Uh, Babel. And in the story of Babel, they rebelled against God. And so judgment came down in the form of languages so that they all couldn't speak the same language. That came from God. He came down against them and, uh, and brought in confusion. And thus the, the place was called, called Babel. He came against Pharaoh because Pharaoh came against his people. And when God says, let my people go, Pharaoh didn't listen. So God came against them. There was Israel rebellion. How many times they rebelled and fell into sin? How about at Sinai when they started worshiping the golden calves? And did God come against them there? How about Korah? Sons of Korah. Did God come against the people of Israel then? 
When the quail incident came up, did God come against the people of Israel? When the serpent came up, when, when Moab led them into um, uh, sexual fornication and idolatrous worship, did God come against them? When the spies went out into the land and they brought back a bad report, did the hand of God go against them? There are times the hand of God has come against them. And when we saw the, the um, Balaam, when he could not curse them, he counseled the king on how to lead them into a place where the, uh, the blessings of God would no longer be on them, but a curse from God would come. And that's what they had done. So there are places, there are times when the hand of God had come against people. And you can keep on going in the Word of God beyond this and certainly see some other places where this, this had come up. We're just, we're stopping short here. That gives you enough of an idea and you could probably use your, your own knowledge of the Word of God to, to go beyond that. But when we forsake His ways or His worship and do not do His commands, the curse will come upon us. And you see that in Deuteronomy chapter 28. But as long as we do His commands, follow His ways, worship Him, that curse won't come upon us. We'll have the blessings. Proverbs 26 verse 2 reads this way. Like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. Now the King James, I don't know why they made it more clear there, uh, shall not come. We're probably more familiar with that particular phrase. I, I copied this out of the New Century Version. It puts it a little differently for us. Curses will not harm someone who is innocent. They are like sparrows or swallows that fly around and never land. Now we heard, a, you know, just abbreviated, the curse causeless will not come. The curse will have a cause. It doesn't just come for no reason. And this is even in the, in the book of Proverbs we see. Now we get over here to verse 12 in the book of Job. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from that, from the presence of the Lord. Now it sounds like there that God has said, Alright, I'll tell you what, I'm going to put all that he has into, his, into your power. Only don't kill him. Doesn't it sound like that? But that's not what he said. And we don't need to get into the Hebrew. You can just take it right from what's, what is said right here. The accuser came up to ask God to come against him. Stretch out your hand against him. But God doesn't do that. God won't do it unless there is a reason. There has to be a reason. And there is not a reason for God to come against him. Stretch out his hand against him. He's, he's upright. That take away, takes away all the cause that there would be for God to come against him. But look at what, look his words again. Behold, all that he has is in your power. You see that? All that he has is in your power. Why is it not in God's power? This is not a declaration that God has condemned his stuff into the hands of Satan. This is an admission of the state of being, of where things are. Now, how does what 
Job have come into the power of Satan. All right, we got your curiosity up? Then um, let's just jump ahead to verse 13 here just for just quick. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. Satan has left the presence of God. It does not seem to indicate that the next day anything happened. It says, now there was a day. In other words, some day after this occurred is when this all, all happened. It all happened on one day, but it's not necessarily from the, from the text here. We cannot deduce that it happened the next day after this. Why did it take so long? Now, in 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion. What's he doing upon the earth? Did he say to God? Walking about to and fro. Here, Peter says, Your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, which means he cannot devour all. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. What is the difference, just from these two verses, what is the difference between one who can be devoured and one who cannot be? One who resists. One who resists. He says, let's read it all over again. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You've got to keep your eye out for this guy because he's looking around. He's trying to find some, somebody he can devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. In the what? In the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Let's go back to our story with Job. After the sons would have a party, what did Job do? Just in case. Just in case, because the devil was able to come along and he kept putting the thought in his head, your sons have missed it. They've cursed God. You're going to lose your sons. They're going to die because they have cursed God. You need to do something about it. And fear came into his, into his life about his sons. It was so bad that eventually he got to the point where as soon as they would have a party, he made a sacrifice. Just in case. You see, he's been ruled with fear because he is afraid of losing the sons and the daughters. And then he's able to, once he, he gets an inroad, now we're going to be hitting you with fear and other things. We've already seen. He's, he's entertaining this possibility. I mean, for most of us, if our if our kids went out and they uh, met up with some friends, how many of us are thinking, "Oh man, I bet you they curse God." <laughs> we don't always we don't always think about that, and of course we're not making sacrifices today. But if we were, we probably wouldn't even go out there and and to have have done that. In Job chapter three, verse twenty-five, I know you all know this verse. Probably one of the few verses that is uh, pretty well known out of here. 
It says, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. So by his own words, he has said, I have had this fear, and this is after all the things that had, had unloaded, which we haven't read, read up on yet. But after all those things that unloaded, this is in chapter 3. We're only covering chapters 1 and 2. But he said, The thing that I feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. So he kept dreading that all these things that he had would be lost. That his sons and daughters would be lost. That they would be killed, as he thought, because they would curse God. Now, they probably lived in such a way that gave him the thought that these are not God-fearing people like they should be. There was something there that the devil was able to use to exploit and to get him into this place where he was constantly feared. When we give in to fear and we constantly think something bad is going to happen if I do this, we have let an open door for the devil to get in and to control our life. And if he can control that area, he's going to be working his way in and control another area. And then they control another area. And then they control another area. And then before long, in one day, he's able to bring his entire house down because of what he had done. But this is not God's hand against him. Which is what the, what the adversary asked for. Stretch out your hand against them. But he didn't do it. He wasn't going to do it. He did a, Satan did this himself. So now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Because they only did this at the brother's houses. Remember, we already found that out. They invited the daughters, the sisters. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And when the, the Sebians raided them and took them away, indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, I'm going to read through this whole thing. We'll go through here in just a little bit. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. And suddenly, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, <clears throat> and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God, God with wrong. Now again, he's been prepared for this. You're going to lose everything. Your sons and your daughters are going to die. So he's been getting ready for this. So when it hit him, it wasn't as shocking as we might think that it that it would have been. But notice that each of these situations, one person was allowed to stay alive to come back and bring the bad news. Because he went the bad news to all hit at one time. Now, in the conversation with God, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but in that conversation with God, what is the one thing God says was not in his power? The life of Job was not in the power of the adversary. All right. How is it that the adversary was able to kill all the servants and the sons and the daughters? Because 
So if somebody is fearing for you, does that mean the devil can come and kill you? Uh-uh. How is it that the enemy is able to get in and kill the sons and kill the daughters and kill the servants as well as all the taking away all the all the wealth? All the wealth is gone. And all these people died. If the command from God was you can't take a life, he wouldn't have been able to, to do any of that, right? So how was he able to take these lives? Not the life of Job, but he was able to take theirs. Did you ever ask yourself that question? I mean, do, do their lives not mean as much? Is Job the only person that matters on the face of the earth? If I'm working for somebody and they're going through a battle like this, does that mean I'm fair game? How does it, how do all these people begin to die? How much time we got left? Boy, we are, we are not doing well, are we? So he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Hmm. So when the disaster did come, it came at all places at the same time. Now here's a question. I put it in your outline for you, as well as I texted it to you, I believe, as well. How can I know if something bad is a judgment from God or destruction from the enemy? How do we know that? I mean, if it's judgment from God, you've got to handle it differently than if it's destruction from the enemy, right? Well, I, was, I, I tried to summarize this as best I could because I was meditating on this thing. This is, this is a, there's a picture of this that, that dropped in for, there for me. I put it in your outline as a summary this way. God announces His judgments. The devil steals what he can. Whenever a judgment came from God, he announced it. He said, this is what I'm going to do. He sent his prophets to Israel and he said, if you don't repent, this is going to happen. He sent prophets to David when David was, was messing up. He sent prophets to, to certain kings when they were going in the wrong direction. When Solomon stepped off and was going in the wrong way, he sent prophets to him and some of them Solomon abused, put in prison. He didn't want to hear it from them. When, when Herod was going in the wrong direction, John the Baptist would spoke, spoke to him and told him, you shouldn't be doing this, and he didn't like it. God announces his judgment. He's not embarrassed by it. Satan steals whatever he can. If there's no announcement, folks, it's not from God. He does not come up and surprise people. Even in the end times, the book of Revelation, he has announced thousands of years before it would happen what is going to happen. And he has told them, this is how it's going to go down. He has announced it. God always announces His judgments. But the devil will underhandedly try and come in and steal. So when you look at it from that, and you can go through all the Word of God, you cannot find a time that God threw a judgment out upon the people, whether individual or a nation, that He did not announce it. There is no announcement about this stuff with here. So where does that tell you it came from? It came from Satan. It did, come, did not come from God. The appeal of Satan was turn your hand against him. But God didn't do that. He said what he has is in your power. How did it get there? Because he gave in to the enemy and instead of staying in, in love 
in faith he fell into fear, which opened the door, and he became one for whom the enemy could could come after. But God says, you're not allowed to touch his life. That is not in your power. It isn't just that God set up a wall. He says, that one's not in your power. You can't touch it. But he can get some people. There are some people that the enemy can steal. Their lives. He can do. And here we saw it right there. He got seven sons and three daughters because apparently, from everything we can tell in there, uh, they're not in the list of those who were blameless before God. Because who got, who got the devil's attention? Job. Not his sons. Not his daughters. It would seem that they did not follow after God the same way, same way that they did. Which puts them outside of the protection of God. Anyway, it says, on all this, Job did not sin. Now, we've handled this question on this before, but do bad things happen to bad people or do bad things happen to good people or only good things happen to good people? In Luke chapter 13, 1 through 9, Jesus answers this question. There were present at that season some who told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with the sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that the Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? See, this is the same idea that we think today. If bad things happen to somebody, it must be because they sinned. And if you go through and you spend time in the book of Job, once the three friends get there and they have this discussion, they're basically saying, Job, you missed it. You did something wrong. And Job says, I did not. Wasn't it now you did something wrong because now you're saying you're blameless and no one's blameless. And so they're going back and forth. And they're basically saying, you did something. Job says, I did not. Yes, you did. You did something. No, I didn't do anything. Yes, you did. You did something. I didn't do... And they're just going back and forth like this. They don't need to be... Don't need to be doing all that, but that's what they spent their time doing. But here's the same question. Uh, Verse 3. I tell you no. What's the answer to that question? No. No. I tell you no. That comes from the mouth of Jesus. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18. So he brings up another story. 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Now, I don't know why they were up there at the, by the tower, but for some reason, they're up there, tower, all of a sudden, tower falls, and it falls upon them and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? We can think of things in this country where, where stuff has fallen on people, where they were sinners. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. You could spend a lot of time on this particular story. There's a whole lot in there and there's a reason that for three years he came. And he says, give it another year. There's a reason for that. We're not going to get in. I'm going to get too distracted if we get into that. But just understand, it's not just thrown out there. Three years I have come looking and it's not there. Let's go for a fourth year. But the reason he got a fourth year was there was an intercessor. Otherwise, you're just going to see the tree cut down. If the tree got cut down, how many know people died? The reason people died? The tree looks fine. It's just not bearing fruit. It has nothing to do with the health of the tree, it has to do with the fact that the tree didn't bear fruit. 
Why have it take up the ground? Get it out. Let's put something else here. And see, we're not always looking at the same factors that, that God sees. But the reason that it stayed around for another year was because it had an intercessor. And that intercessor stood up and said, no, no, let me uh, fertilize it. Let me try and get this thing going. If I get it going, great, we got another tree. If not, cut it down. Unfortunately, that tree was cut down. John chapter 9, verse 1. And Jesus passed by. He saw a man who was born, who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, period. Understand, we've talked about this before. All punctuation in the New Testament is inserted by the translators. It is not there in the original text because they didn't have enough space for it. So they left it out. But he answers the question, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And he said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, period. But that the works of God should be revealed in him, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground, made clay with saliva, anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated, sent and so he went and washed and came back seeing. If there was a reason for him being born blind that was sin, somebody missed it, then somebody needed to repent before he was healed. That was not done. Jesus simply said, I have come to do the works of him who sent me, which was to bring sight to the blind. In John 10.10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The purpose of the enemy, why he comes, is to steal, to kill, and to destroy, which is all the things we saw in the life of Job. All right, let's see if we got enough time here to finish this up. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them to present himself before the Lord. Again, there was a day. Where are we? In that story, where are we? We are in heaven. Look at how it starts. And this is not the first time we've seen this in this passage. It's the one I'm bringing it up to you. Again, there was a day. What does that signify? Progressive time. Time that has a beginning and time that has an end. Except for the fact that God does not have a beginning and end, does He? God operates in the past as well as He operates in the present as well as He operates in the future. But He is dealing with angelic beings. And as far as angelic beings are concerned, they have a start and a stop like we do. God does not. But they do. Satan is not able to go back in time or forward in time. He is stuck in a linear time just as we are. God is not, but he is. Don't put too much power into him. Again, there was a day. This is a day that was after the other days. Because right now we've got three days that were mentioned. One day when they first all came. Another day when they, when all the bad news came, and a third day here. It does not seem that one happened on one day, one happened on the next day. It seems that there are a period of days in between. And it just says, again, there was a day. A day came. A progress of time had come. Just wanted to make that side note for you. 
Just understand powers of the enemy are not as uh, unlimited as some people might want to think that they are. Uh, verse 2, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth in it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Again, it's the same exact translation. We have the same thing here, Have you considered? But instead of that, it is, Have you set your heart? And I've looked up the Young's on this one too, and it's exactly the same translation. He has set his heart once again against this one even though he had no success. A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. Now look at that. You incited me against him, but did God go against him? No, because he says right there, without cause. You made a case, You failed in that case. I did not come against him. So that tells you right there, God did not do this to Job. God does not have a purpose for this coming upon Job. Satan does. And Satan was able to get Job to step out. We'll 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 show you some more things in that here in just a minute. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. Remember, there's a restriction here. His life, I I can't touch his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. He is in your hand. He is not proclaiming something as in, I'm giving you the power. He is stating something that already is. Because now that Job has been down and out and all this stuff has come upon him and we saw how easy it was for the devil to get in and to sow thoughts about his sons and his daughters and thoughts about his stuff and so that the thing he feared came upon him. Then while all this is going on, what do you think the devil is out there to do now? He's out there to sow thoughts about his own body, about to, to sow thoughts about his health, to sow thoughts about this particular thing and he has embraced it. And when he gets up there to heaven, he's simply saying he's accepted these these thoughts of fear. That's why don't don't bring these things in. Don't let these things come in on you. Stand against fear. It's so important. How many times does Jesus say out of his mouth, do not fear? What are the first words we say to Joshua when he takes over? (laughs) Don't be afraid. Be strong and very courageous. It's, it's important. It's, it's so important. So, so many times we see those words come out from God as warnings to, to people. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. All things are possible to him who believes. Only do not fear. So many times we see that. But the, this guy is just constantly being able to be brought into it. And once you start giving in the fears, he, one, more, one after another comes. You just be like monk. I love that one episode when they say, uh, you know, list all your phobias on this piece of paper. <laughs> Can I have another? <laughs> Can I have another? <laughs> Can I have another? Because <laughs> he wants to be able to write down all his... All, see, once the, you get the first ones in, then the other ones come. And then the other ones come. And then some more... No, you got to stand up against it. 
Don't let it, don't let it get in. That's the, that's the devil's doorway to get into your life is through fear. Don't let it happen. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the soil, sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Now I didn't go through all the research to figure out without what that was. I guess it's something you're supposed to do to try and help alleviate all the, all the stuff that he is, but, um, didn't spend too much time on that. But it says he still holds fast his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without a cause. Now I, I wrote in your outline. I believe it's in your your outline. There's some reasons that that um, disaster comes. Some reasons for it. And the first one is God's judgment. Deuteronomy 28. Not getting into all the scriptures on this. These are all things we've talked about in the past. But just give you at least a little bit. Deuteronomy 28. God's judgment. If you go along and you do the things I say, blessings come. If you go against it, the curse comes. And these are the things that will happen. It opens up for the enemy to come in and to start to start stealing your stuff and for drought to come in and for famine to come in and for pestilence to come in. And all these things are listed. That's the God's judgment one. The other two are not from God. The second one is you're not under God's protection. Psalm 91. How many times do we read that one? We love it. People love Psalm 91. We want to read that. But that's talking about being in the secret place of the Almighty, coming underneath His wing, being under His protection. He says, when you are in that place, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. But you've got to be under His protection. If you're not under His protection, if you're not doing, if you're not doing the things that 91 says you need to be doing, you're not under His protection. You're not going to be under that, that wing. Matthew 23, verse 37 says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you, gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, for you were not, but you were not willing. There's a protection there coming underneath the, the, the wings. But sometimes he says you're not willing, so you're not under that protection. Disaster can come because we don't come under the protection of God. That's where we need to be. So that's the second one. God's judgment was the first one. That's the cause. And uh, not under God's protection. Not under His wing. Third one is moved out of God's protection. I was under God's protection, but through fear, the enemy brought me out from it. Under God's protection, I stand in faith. I walk in the love of God. But he pulls me out of that and sows fear into me. I embrace that fear. And though I only embrace that fear in one area of my life, it then begins to infiltrate the other areas of my life. Pretty soon it's into two. It's into three. It's into four. I've got to hate fears. And I've got to work to get rid of them all. And not to, not to have them. First Peter 5.8 again. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour you under the protection of God. That's what he said in the, in the book of Job. You've got a hedge about him. I've got to get him out of that hedge. And that's how he did it with fear. See, there's no indication anywhere in the scripture by teaching, doctrine as you would put it, or example, that God just gives people over to Satan without cause. He doesn't do it. There is no place in the scripture that says he ever did it. Because he doesn't. And he didn't do it with Job. Job allowed himself to be pulled out from that hedge. And as soon as he was out from that, that hedge, the enemy is able to pounce on him. 
And the enemy had set his face against Job because of the upright way in which Job was walking. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Let's read that. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, speaking of Israel. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Well, that would tell you that God wasn't too well pleased. They died. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now let us, com- nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. We talked about that. That's the incident with, with Balaam. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Talked about that one. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. So you get into complaining. We talked about that a little bit in the Sunday, Sunday morning ones. You start to fall into murmuring and complaining. You're opening yourself up for the destroyer to come in. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Be careful. That's what Jesus was basically saying. What, you think they were worse sinners than you are? That's why they died? <laughs> uh-uh. Y'all better repent. Or that could be you. Verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Job, Job chapter 2, verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Of all the people he let still lay around, let his wife be around. And she's in there. And uh, Now, you'll see some places in there it says, Bless God and die. Have you ever seen it? You might have a translation. You might even have a note in that. The, the word actually does mean bless God, but it means it in a, bless God in a negative way, which would be a curse. So if you see anything, don't let that confuse you. I did see that, that note in there. And it's, it's uh, very specifically to bless God in a negative, or to bless in a negative way. In this case, to bless God in a negative way, which is to curse. So maybe that means to bless God with sarcasm. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I was thinking about. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that come upon him, each one came from his own place. Eliphaz, the Tamanite, Bildad, the Shuvite, and Zophar, the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. Now they came to comfort, but they didn't, uh, they didn't continue to comfort. They, they just became an annoyance. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, that's how bad off he was. They couldn't even recognize him. They lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. I don't know how you do that. Sit them down there and seven days and seven nights. That's that's it. So, anyway, we'll finish this up this way. Be aware of the strategies against you. This is what the Word of God says in Second Corinthians 2 and verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices or his schemes. We are not ignorant of them. I wrote four things down here. You can... Uh, Write them down in yours. I don't think they made it all the way into your outline. Four things I just to be aware of. You can put other things in there too, but be aware of these four things just from our story here. Don't fear. 
No matter what it is, don't fear. Fear does not come from God. Don't be, if you have a fear, well, it's just me, I just, I just fear those things. Get rid of it. Get out of it. Don't fear. One, all you need is one little fear. And then the enemy can start working on a second one. And then a third one. And then a fourth one. And he starts hitting some, some uh, critical areas. Don't let him do it. Stay within the hedge. Don't get outside of it. The devil's looking for whom he may devour. Someone who wanders outside of the hedge. Don't wander outside. When God says, don't do that. Don't go there. Stay over here. Follow his, his commands. Follow his words. And stay there. If God says, don't go into that. Don't take that job. Don't go in that direction. Don't do that thing. There's a reason for it. If he says, don't sever this relationship, there's a reason for it. Lot didn't listen to it. Lot severed that relationship with Abraham. What happened to him? He got outside the hedge and the enemy came and stole everything that he had. Stay within the hedge. Third, submit to God. Be in submission to God. If God says jump, jump. Don't even ask how high. Just jump. Just go. If he says run, run. If he says walk, walk. If he says sit down, sit down. Don't get to a place where you're trying to get all these questions at. If he says something, do it. Submit to God. Because that's what the Word of God says. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If Job had done this, we probably wouldn't have the book of Job. Submit to God. Fourth thing, resist what is from the enemy. We gave you the, the signs. If, if it's a judgment from God, it's announced. If it's not announced, it's the thief. Jesus, his own words were, the shepherd comes in through what door? Comes through the front gate. He comes through the front. Where's the thief come? He comes from, from by another way. He's either going to jump the fence, come in through a back window. He, he's not coming in the normal way. When God comes, He comes in through the front door. He comes in through the front gate. He makes an announcement. This is me. I'm bringing this judgment. I'm doing this thing. This is what God does. If it comes upon you by surprise, it's not announced. It's not God. I don't have to wonder about it. The thief comes like a thief. The shepherd comes like a shepherd. And it's very easy to tell. What we saw with, the, with Job, it was the signs of the thief. When we saw what happened in heaven, it told us directly, God was not involved. It was Satan. Because if God was involved, he would have said, you stirred me up against them and I struck them. He didn't say it. He said there was no cause. You tried to stir me up against them, but there was no cause. If there was no cause, our God does not come against us. In the book of Job, it's not so much the patience of Job that he had in enduring all these particular things. The problem comes in way before that. Don't let the enemy in. Now we look at this and we say, all right, well, after this, he got double the number of kids and double the number of sheep and all that sort of stuff. And some of us might be thinking, man, I don't know. I mean, there's still the pain of losing the kids that you had. Well, the little bit of a picture I get of these kids, I think the replacements were probably better. It sounds like all they did was party all the time. 
than just going from one house to another and spending all moms and moms and dads' money on parties. And they didn't, I don't ever see them out there working. No one ever see them doing out there anything profitable. And he's just always being concerned about them. Uh, there's a reason for it. There's a reason why he was always... There had to be some element of truth that they was able to work on and get him into a place of fear. But you've got to keep that stuff out. And uh, I'm sure when he... When the next batch of kids came over, he said, all right, I allowed fear to get in and I put some of those things in the, in the way of my kids and I'm not going to do that again. We're going to get that fear out. We're going to... We're going to walk in the way that we're supposed to be walking and we're going to show these kids how to do it. And I'm sure that they went along a whole lot better, but we'll have to wait to get to heaven to, to find that out. Well, Father, we thank you that through the life of Job, we can see some of the things that we should or shouldn't do. We can see some of the things that go on behind the scenes. But we know that the Word of God says very, very clearly that the curse without a cause will not come. That you don't just sell us out. You don't just throw bad things our way. You are our Father. And just as we are parents of children, we know that we would never wish for anything evil to happen upon them. How much more our Heavenly Father. Know that the enemy wants to paint a picture that you are one who just looks to send evil things about us to teach us things. That's not who you are. And that's not what you were teaching us in the book of Job. I thank you for the things that you did teach us. The things we can learn. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Comments? Questions? Did you put the battery back in it? I forgot to tell you that. After I wanted to make sure we had enough of the, <coughs> enough of the battery. Um, actually, before that, uh, Praise actually said that she had been studying Job this week, and this was oh. an amazing lesson, and she said thank you. Oh, good. Uh, Steve says, so are you saying that without his fear... Job would not have been struck with his affliction. Without the fear, there wouldn't have been the road for the enemy to get in. Uh, if you look at other people in the Word of God, Abraham had never never had a fear of losing his stuff. He had other problems that came in, but uh, that was never a thing, and he didn't he didn't lose stuff. When he did, uh, when he when Lot lost things, he said, "Oh no, you don't." <laughs> he went out there, he went and took it back, and with just just the two hundred men that he had, he went up against five kings. But he was so bold. Oh, no, no. You don't even take the, the stuff of people I know. I'm going to go back there and get it. And he went out there and he, and he did that. David, when he came upon Ziglag, and they come in and they stole all the stuff and they burned the city and they took the wives and the children. And after uh, for a while, they were all down. But then they got back up and they said, no, no, no. Let's go get it. They said, God, what should we do? And God says, go. You'll recover it all. Which meant God was not behind them losing any of that stuff. But he says, go back out there and get it. That was the thief who took it. Go back out there and, and get the thing. And they didn't let fear bog them down. He went out there and he, and he got it. Now go back in the Word of God and take a look at some of the other people who, who were in fear. Um, uh, Jeroboam. God gave him a promise. If you will serve me, just as the house of David, just as David did, I will make of your house an enduring house, just like I made for David. If you will follow my command, if you will serve me. And then fear came in upon Jeroboam. And he said, if the people keep on going down to Jerusalem, if they keep sacrificing to God, they will eventually go back to the house of David and they will kill me and my household. And fear came in. And so it allowed the enemy to come in and to rob him of all the things that he had. And he, his life went on a, a, a bad turn from there. He led Israel into idolatry. 
And God came and sent the prophets and said, all right, we're going to wipe out this house of yours. Everything is going to be gone. The thing that you feared, that's not in the word. It doesn't say this, but this is what happened. The thing that you feared will come upon you. And his house was wiped out. And his, uh, his kids were killed. They, uh, and the house, the kingdom was given to someone else because of the, of the fear. And uh, I can keep on going with examples on this. But when we give in to fear, the enemy has an inroad and he steals stuff. So Jeroboam didn't have a, a book of Job written about him, but you could have written it. Uh, Solomon, why does he fall into idolatry? He falls into idolatry because he marries foreign women. But it doesn't stop there. He first off marries the foreign woman and then the women start making demands. And then he becomes afraid of losing something that the women are bringing. And so he gives in to what the women want in order not to lose that particular thing. That fear came on in. And so then he began to lose everything that he had with that. Um, Cain, it was fear. Cain came in and stole the, th- the things from fear and he rose up and, and killed Abel. And uh, there's so many other examples that are in the Word of God. Fear came in, opened the door, and they lost what they had. So yeah, that's exactly... If he would have stayed out of fear... You not you would not have had the story of Job. The book of Job would not have been written. We wouldn't have seen then that that part in the heaven. But um, I guess they would have found somebody else that uh, <laughs> that we could have written the thing about. But we wouldn't have it about Job. It was the fear, and it's the same thing with us. When we give in to fear, we open the door for the the enemy to come and to steal. I'll give you one more example with the uh, uh, Jarius when he came to Jesus and his daughter was dying. He says, if you'll come, uh, she'll live. And Jesus said, I'll come. And so his hope is restored. Jesus is coming. My daughter's going to live. And then the news comes. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Your daughter's dead. And Jesus turns immediately to him and says, Do not fear. Because if he allowed fear to come in, the thief is going to steal his daughter's life. He says to me, do not fear. He tunes everybody else out. He focuses right on Jerry. You're the only one I need to stay in this line here. Do not fear. If you fear, the enemy can steal. Jesus is there. And Jesus being there could not stop it if he fell into fear. And he didn't fall into fear. Then Jesus will be able to go and raise the daughter up. So you can keep on going with example after example after example. There's just so many of them in the Word of God. But yes, fear is the way the enemy gets in. He sows the thought. He gets us to think we're going to lose something. Something is going to go bad. Something is not going to go the way I want. And we become fearful of it. We become anxious. We become worried. And how many times we see in the Word of God, don't be anxious, don't worry. All these other things come in too. So um, yes. I would say absolutely, 100%. If he had not feared, none of this would have happened. Ethel's comment is, it's amazing that God knew the intentions of Satan concerning Job. Yeah. Yeah. He he surely did. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, My question is, uh, sidebar, uh, um, Job's wife. Mm-hmm. Did she repent? Because it said um, God gave him three sons. I mean, seven sons and three daughters. Yep. Were they from his wife or 
Probably. I don't. We don't have anything about her being replaced, and it would not be godly for God to say, "I'm going to double your wives," right. <laughs> like I doubled your. That's not godly. That's not from God. That's not the way He's going to do it. Uh, but notice the, the the phrase from from Job: "You're acting." I forget how he put it now. You're acting like these other women. So apparently, her character before this had not been that way, and he was calling her attention to that. You've changed your character. You're acting now like one of these other women. So I don't know that she was always like that, but her uh, ability to stand up against this, it, it, this threw her, to, uh, threw her quite a bit. Yeah. And so uh, it took her into that direction. And Job was basically pointing that out to it. I didn't, I didn't make that note there. But if you look at the interaction between him and his wife, he's basically saying, you're acting like these other women. And so apparently, I, I get from that that she didn't act that way before. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. <laughs> yeah, he is. So apparently she um, uh, must not have spoken like one of the foolish women spoke before this. So I think she got her her stuff put together, and um, just as, as and Job had to get some things together too, because at the end of the book of Job he has to repent, and then he has to pray for his friends, and then um, God restores everything. But there were some things that Job did that were that were wrong, and God God set him straight on it. Yeah, he did not. <laughs> yep. And uh, Job, I mean, the, the enemy set his sights against Job. We don't have any, there's nobody else out there that uh, that is mentioned. Yeah. One question. Um, it says that um, in all that Job did, he sinned not against God. But can our wrong thinking about what God will or will not do, like, um, you hear at some funerals, um, the Lord gives, the Lord takes, blessed be the name of the Lord, or, you know, will he not, you know, he gives us good, will he not, can, uh, would we not also accept evil yep. from him? Pull that, so can you pull that, that verse up, put it on the screen for us? A wrong thinking of? It's, no, it's, it's just a few verses. Um, oh, was it after that? I was thinking it was before. Say uh, that, that he did not. There was one in uh, Did not sin against the Lord? Yeah, one in 122. I thought it was back in chapter 1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what you'll see in there is it, it, it qualifies the um, particular thing that he did. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. The main area of, of sin is he did not charge God with wrong. This is what... See, what the enemy wants to try and do, what Satan wants to do, fear will allow him to steal stuff with you. But he's not satisfied with that. Because fear will only get you to lose stuff. But it won't get to the ultimate goal of what he wants. What the ultimate goal that Satan wants is he wants you destroyed and he wants God to come against you. Because if God comes against you and destroys you, then more than likely you're on your way to hell and he's populating hell and he's taking people away from, from God. So this is his goal is to get that done. Stealing stuff, is he, he likes that. But then once he has stolen this stuff, he's going to be sowing the thoughts, God is against you. And he knows, he was up in heaven when this conversation was going on, but he's going to be sowing the thoughts, God is against you. Just curse God. Just, uh, just uh, start hating on God. Start saying these things against God. And he's going to sow thoughts that are against God, getting him to 
to repeat them. How many times have you had friends, neighbors, uh, relatives, and they, re- they say things against God? And they curse God. That's, that's inspired by the enemy. Because the enemy knows if I can get you to say these things against God, I am putting you in a place of judgment. Just as he gave counsel to Balaam and told them, hey, tell them, send the woman on out there, have them lure them in, and then um, bring them into idolatrous worship, and then God will come against them. And he'll wipe them out. And you won't have to worry about it. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get us to a place where we curse God. This was the ultimate goal of what Satan wants. He thought, if I get all this stuff and take away the kids and take away all the wealth and take away all this stuff from Job, that Job, in the accusation, does, does uh, Job serve God for nothing? In the accusation, he said it. Once all this stuff is gone, he's going to curse you and he's not going to serve you anymore. And then ultimate punishment will come upon him. That's where Satan wanted to get him and he couldn't get him there because Job wouldn't go. So Job went to some places he shouldn't go, but that's not the place that he went. He says, no, I'm still going to be on God's side. He said, even though I think one of the verses that's in there, though he slay me, yet I serve him. Yeah. But it must be the old Hebrew mentality because he does say the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Yep. And what the enemy wants you to do is blame God for everything that oh, yeah. to you. But he's, it's he a mentality. Said, yep. And that's why people have a viewpoint that God yeah, took this away. We take it out. Well, this is what Job thought. Yeah, but Job also thought his, his sons and daughters cursed God and he has to make sacrifice for them and he was out there doing all... But it may not have even occurred and the Word of God doesn't even give us indication that it did occur. It's just that he, he went out there and did it. So his idea is, well, God gave it to me and God can take it away. God didn't take it away. The very story tells us that he didn't take it away. It was the enemy that took it away. But still, we'll come out of there with, with that kind of a thought. Yeah. What else we got? Ethel has a further comment. Brings up an interesting comparison of how Adam responded to Eve versus how Job responded to his wife. Ah. Yeah. I can see that one. Yeah, we should have had a little more Job in uh, Adam, huh? She was the only well, one. There you go. All right. Any other comments, questions? 